0: John chapter 15. Very popular passage of Scripture. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I like that because if He's the true vine, then there must be some non-true vines. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it. So that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That's pretty rough right there. Verse 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. Just as the Father has loved Me, I have also loved you. Abide in My love. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My my love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Amen. Backing up to chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you. For the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. May we be able to say the very same thing. The ruler of the world is coming, but he has nothing in me. He has no place. He has no foothold. He has no access. Believe it's possible. And then Jesus says "But that the world may know. May the world know that we love the Father because we do exactly as He commands us. Isn't that beautiful? Father, thank You for You. Thank You for this congregation, for our time this morning. God, I pray that we would be completely enveloped with your presence and focused oh, on yes. you. That we would hear so clearly what your spirit is speaking to us this morning, that we may say, we speak forth what we're hearing you say.
1: And may we leave
0: this place doing what you're showing us to do. To see your will accomplished. May your kingdom come and your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And may You be glorified, Father, in everything that we say and everything that we do. Let's focus on the Lord this morning as we're praising in song. Let's keep our ear attentive to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is saying. And then may we get up to the mic and just speak what we're hearing the Holy Spirit saying. Nothing more, nothing less, even if it's one word. Just what is God saying? It's not a time to be sharing testimonies or giving a devotional or preaching a message, but just saying what you're hearing the Holy Spirit saying. We can have time for testimonies and other things later. But we want to hear and prophesy and speak forth what the Holy Spirit is saying. That's what Peter did in Matthew 16 when Jesus was talking to him about building the ecclesia. All Peter did was say what he heard the Father say. In response to the question, who Jesus was, He said, you are the Messiah, Son of the living God. He just said what He heard. It's that simple. Simple, right? Let's do that. Amen.
2: No other God can be called a Father. No other God can be called a Friend. No other God can be called Redeemer. No other God coming back again. Again. No other God can be called a No other God can be called a friend No other God can be called Redeemer No other God's coming back again How we love your name And how You're the beautiful one, we love your name, how we love you, how we love you, King of kings. Yeah. Uh-huh. of your holy name. He came and brought us into the reign of grace. We see glory to the Lord. We love the fragrance of your holy name Jesus You came and brought us into the reign of grace Yeah, oh, we love the fragrance of your holy name You came and brought us into the reign of grace We sing, oh The righteous one. We sing glory unto oh, the. You're the Lord, we love you. You're awesome. I just feel the Spirit this morning moving this morning. I feel his anointing on this place and y'all. Just step into the to the river. Step into the flow this morning. Take these songs, take the meanings of them, Lord. Sing them from your soul, sing them from your spirit. All these truths we sing all the time. I feel He wants to do something through all of us today. Not through just the singing, the worship, the songs, through the message and everything. So, Lord, we just thank You. We do love You. Help us to love You even more, Father God. We surrender all. Help us to get us to that place if we're not surrendering all, that we do surrender all. That's not not the 99%. Lord, we just invite you to all the areas of our lives, Father God. All the areas that need the work done in them. And we just thank you for being such a good Savior, a good God, that rescued us. Such a, Such a beautiful story, the Gospel. You gave us the uh, opportunity to do this all on our own. You loved us so much. You gave us the laws and commandments. Let us try it. And, and, and knowing we couldn't do it. And then you just came down and you did it all for us. <laughs> you did it all for us. You did what we could never do. You always do what we can't do, Lord. We can't do this on our own. We can't do none of it on our own. We need You. We love You. Lord, we want to hear Your voice. We want it more clear. We want a better revelation of You. We want a better relation, a revelation of Your love, a a better revelation of Your Word, Father God. We want that closer walk, Father. A friend that sticks closer than a brother, Father God. We don't want to play church. We don't want to play church. We don't want to come in here and just have a good time. We don't want to leave the way we came, Father God. Lord, I just thank you for each person here, each family that's represented, each husband, wife, grandmother, grandfather, Lord. I just pray for a blessing on everything that affects them and their life and their family, Father God. We thank you that you're coming soon, Lord. Thank you for waking us up and saving us. Help us to wake up and save others, Father God, that are going for going to hell and going to turn. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Ah,
1: sure uh, great is the Lord, and He's most worthy of praise. For His greatness no one can fathom. So let's let one generation commend your mighty works to another as we continue to declare your mighty acts.
2: We stand before you humble, Lord.
3: For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, that's us, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity.
2: Powerful name it is that makes dead bones come alive, that makes us come alive in the spirit. What a powerful word it is you gave us, Lord. What a powerful word it is you wrote answer to every problem, every solution, Father God. Oh, we worship you, Lord, this morning. You're a good daddy, Lord. Oh, we give you
1: Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and on the earth, yours is the dominion, Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name.
2: The uh-huh. and Son, know the Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb, have
1: Lord, you are beautiful beyond description. You're too marvelous for words. It's hard for us to understand, God, how you could look and see man, and want to live in him. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom?
2: Oh yes.
1: Discovered in your Son. For by him, all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. For he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he lives in us. Is there anything impossible for him?
2: you Yeah.
0: When we praise somebody, we typically tell them what we appreciate about them, who they are to us. So let's do that with the Lord for just a few minutes. Can we? Just vocally, if you would just speak that out, we can go one by one. However, just tell him who he is to you, what you appreciate about him.
2: Lord, you're my torment remover. You're the lifter of my head.
3: hope only hope Yes, I hope so.
0: Father, thank you for being such a good daddy to me. So affectionate. But at times, stern and a disciplinarian when needed. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, you are my hero, my model. The elder brother that sticks so close, thank you for your encouragement.
2: You're my provision. my strength. It helps get me out of bed every day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.
3: Hmm. Yes. Yeah.
2: You're the song in my heart. a teacher, Lord. Mm.
3: Yes, amen. Yes. Amen. <laughs> amen. Uh-huh.
0: Have a stronger sense than normal, which is usually pretty strong, for healing, physical healing this morning. How many of you, if you be honest and raise your hand, are struggling with any kind of a physical ailment that you need to be healed from? Yeah. <laughs> which might be about half of this room something. Like... <laughs> Nine, ten. is anybody struggling specifically with uh, and I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce it right cyanitis and is there such a thing as rhinitis? is that such a thing I was hearing those two words is anybody struggling with those two issues or one of them, or sinus issue. Sarah, you are Chris. Here's what I would like to do. What I feel like or sense from the Lord this morning with healing. I have noticed over the years that typically, when I get a word like that of some kind of a physical ailment. The Lord is calling that out, obviously, and wants to heal that. But often, He wants to reveal to somebody, particularly the one that is dealing with it, a response, a faith response to be healed. There are so many reasons why we get sick. Our body is made from this earth. It is still susceptible to germs and toxins and all kinds of things. Things that have come from our family, generational curses. All kinds of things. And there's all kinds of reasons why we get sick. You know, sin can cause sickness, but not in all cases. We can be eating something that's causing us to be sick that we're just unaware of. We could be drinking something or not eating what we should be eating or drinking what we should be drinking. Lack of exercise. There's a million different reasons. And typically what we've done in church is no matter what it is, let's just pray that God does something and be healed. Instead of, which is more biblical, what is God actually saying? Because when Jesus healed people, He did it, A variety of different ways. A lady touches the hem of his garment. Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes he put hands on. Sometimes he made mud, put it in the eyes. Sometimes he said, now go and sin no more. So God has... A question for us is not if God heals. I don't believe typically the Bible even says God heals. He's done everything He needs to do for our healing. And then Jesus said, you go heal the sick. He didn't say, you go and ask me to heal the sick. He said, you go heal the sick. So how do you do it? You do it the same way. You do everything else, cast out demons or anything else. What is the Lord saying? Now, I will say this. As long as I've been a Christian, I believe hearing the voice of God accurately is one of the most difficult things that people struggle with. Hearing the voice of God accurately. So I'm going to pray, and that's what I'm going to ask the Lord. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever physical ailment, the stionitis, ryanitis, if I even pronounce it, certainly can't spell it, What is the Lord actually saying to you? Does this make sense? Father, I thank you so much that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. That healing is a finished work of the cross. Healing for our physical body, spirit, for our minds. And I thank you so much, Lord. Thank You for speaking to us. I pray for each one of us, myself included, that we would walk in healing. We would be healed and be the healed and continue walking in healing. That we would also go beyond that and be an instrument to others to bring healing to others in the marketplace, in the classroom, in the office. Everywhere we're at. So thank You, Lord. We speak to that Sionitis Ryanitis in Jesus' mighty name. Be gone. Glory. We bless You. We bless You, Lord. I'm going to take just a few minutes I wasn't planning on doing this, but when um, we were just focusing on the Lord, it just came to me. And I have talked about this um, several, quite a few times, several times periodically, because it's it's a huge, huge paradigm shift for us. And I know um, a lot of times when we have guests or newer people, they may not understand fully uh, what it is that, We're actually doing. Because we function uh, very similar to traditional church, but there's also some major differences. And with the understanding of ecclesia, which is what Jesus said He was going to build. He did not say He was going to build a church. Biblically speaking, there's absolutely no such thing as church. The word church didn't become a word in any language until the 4th century. 300 years after Jesus. So there was no way for him to even say a word remotely like the word church. The word he spoke was not even ekklesia. That's the word Matthew translated. The Aramaic word Jesus spoke was kanusta. Kanusta is where the word knesset comes from, which is the Israeli Parliament. That's the word ecclesia. It's actually a governmental word. It's not a religious word. It was a well-known word during the time that Jesus spoke it to his disciples. And if you would just think about this, if you have a hard time understanding what I just said, that when Jesus said he was going to build what's in our Bibles, translations, church, why did the disciples never ask him what he's talking about? Because there was no such thing as church. He just made up a new word because there was synagogue, Right? There was heathen worship, temple worship. There's all, but he just said he's going to build something brand new. And they didn't even ask him what he's talking about. Especially a word that was never used before. Well, the reason is because that's not the word he said. He said a very common word that Matthew translated into Greek, which is ecclesia. It's a governmental word. Now, this poster over here says it's a legislative assembly. That's only half of the ecclesia. The other half is Judicial. The ecclesia is actually the the format of it, if you read in Isaiah thirty three twenty two, it says the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. Those are the three branches of the United States federal government. The executive, the judicial, and the legislative. That's what an ecclesia is. That's where our founders got the form of our government, is really from Scripture. It's it's not it wasn't just Greek, God's the one that created that form of government. And so that is the direction we've been heading for I don't know 10 or 12 years now cuz I've never seen one. I've you know we've seen church. We know how church goes. You can go to just about any church and they all do about the same thing. We understand the format of church. Most of us have been very well churched with the whole format. We know what to what to Um, you know, anticipate what's coming next. Most churches start with music. They call it worship. Then they have announcements, right? A message, a prayer line. That's kind of a typical format for us. Change it up a little bit here and there. It's a similar format with us. But all along the line, the Lord has been just revealing certain things to me um, that I've never really seen before. And music is one of them. So about, I don't know, I lose track of time. A, a few years ago. It could have been five six seven something like that. I heard the Lord speak to me and say this. The purpose and use of music is changing. Now, I'm not concerned or God's not speaking to me in context with the worldwide church, okay? But I know He's speaking to me and I know it, it's going to affect our congregation here. So this, what I'm about to say is nothing, you know, it's not derogatory about what anybody else does or whatever congregation does or what our likes or preferences are. Because my personal pursuit is really what does the Scripture say? And what is God speaking to us in the midst of that? What's He revealing? What is He showing us? And that's my personal pursuit. I just, I want as accurate to what God, because really, when you break all of this down, it's not about our church attendance. It's not about our how often we pray, how much Bible we read, because how did Abraham walk with the Lord? And he didn't have any of this or Moses. And when you look at how God dealt with the nation of Israel, it's all about obedience. Just listen to my voice. Have a relationship with me and let's do what I tell you to do. It's not a, a master slave. Because being a bondservant is a slave by choice. I choose to be your slave. He doesn't force any of us. But we're pleased, right? If we love the Lord and we have a love encounter, relationship and intimacy with Him, it's pleasing. So the Lord spoke to me a few years back and He said the purpose and use of music is changing. And uh, as He normally does with me, He doesn't answer me sometimes when I say, what are you talking about? He just doesn't. What he wants me to do is discover what he's talking about. And the first place I go when he doesn't answer is I call Dale. No, I. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Is I go to the scripture. Just like he did when he spoke to me about healing. And this was quite a, quite a long time ago. And he says, why do you ask me to heal people? And I said, well, aren't I supposed to? And he didn't answer me. And so I got into the scripture and found out no place are we taught to ask God to heal anybody. But that's what we do. Because we've been taught that in church. Jesus never, asked, he never said, God, would you go heal them? And then when he told us to go heal, you see the disciples, they're just speaking to the, the, the person or the thing. And they're healed. They never one time asked God to heal anybody. I didn't know that. Isn't that you know, it's, it's amazing some of the things that are in plain black and white or red and white that we've read dozens of times. And until the Lord highlights it, it's like, I never saw that. But it was hidden in plain sight. <laughs> but I love that. I get chills thinking about that because I love when God reveals things to me that's like, oh my gosh, it, that, I never saw that. Well, the music thing was the same way. So what I did is I got into the Word to discover the purpose and use of music in Scripture within context of our meetings. And it's not going to surprise most of you, but the way most of the time we use music today is not in the Bible. It's not there. A matter of fact, you find out that every meeting Jesus had, he never had a band. Not once. Not once did He ask the harpist to come out. Not one time. He just started speaking. And then He performed miracles. That's what I want. Because He's our example. There's only one scripture where they sang the disciples and him the night that they had their last Passover meal before he was arrested. They sang a hymn and left. And then when you see the disciples and the apostles begin to plant these ecclesias, there's no mention of music in their services. Isn't it fascinating? But today, music is almost the main emphasis getting a professional band, the sound system, the thousands and sometimes millions of dollars that is spent, the lights. Now, I'm not against any of that. There's a lot of things God doesn't say that we can do. But my perspective, I guess, is let's prioritize The things God does say. And then these other things, let's put them a little lower on the list. In place of importance. So you don't see this. Not that, I mean, hey, God's God's a God of music. He's the one that created it. We have a Song of Solomon book. We have a whole book called Songs that are Psalms. We are told to sing songs. So it's not about not singing. It's about within the context of our gatherings. My question is, is why, Lord, did you never talk about music? And now today, music is such an important part. It's so important to so many people. They go to different churches looking for better music. And Jesus never talked about it. Isn't that fascinating to you? You look at the seven letters of Revelation. Revelation that Jesus told John to write to seven different localities, seven different ecclesias. Not one time did he mention building? How many people you have? What's the size of your budget? Do you have a band? Lighting system? How's your music? Not one time. Did he mention any of that? So why is it That it's a priority for us today. When it's apparently not a priority to him. Just questions. See, typically what I've seen, and you probably have too, is we like a style of music and that's really what we want. We like certain things and that's what we want. We want a church or a congregation with certain things. Children's program, nursery, whatever it might be. Good coffee, awesome donuts. <laughs> we have donut com- communion every Sunday. But what is really ecclesia? Ecclesia is. Hearing, it's gathering with the Lord. It's an assembly. It's a governmental assembly where we are assembling with the Lord to do what? To hear from Him. To do what? So we can speak and act for Him. That's really it. That's really it. Now, along with that, there's teaching and encouragement and prayer. I mean, all these other different aspects that you find in just about every other church and the fellowship. All of those things are important. But prioritizing the main His priorities. For instance, none of us should be here just for the sake of others or for what I get. It's all to be, what do you want, Lord? Matter of fact, I believe that all of our congregation and the way we do things should be structured to please Him, not anybody else. Period. Period. But we don't do that church-wise. We structure it for people. I think if we really turn this around and we're structuring it for God, to please Him and Him only, what could happen? I don't know. It's up to Him. Whatever He wants. One last thing about music. Because you mentioned this word to just about any other Christian and even some non-Christians. Worship, the word worship, and their minds go to music. Do you know in Scripture, I have, I'm still have not found one instance where the word worship and music are together? Not one. The word worship really literally means to bow down before. It, it doesn't mean sing. It doesn't mean to play an instrument. But, but that's what we've, we've made it to be. We even call it the worship part of the service. Come on, let's worship. Meaning sing, stand, clap your hands. But the Bible doesn't call that worship. Now that can be part of our worship. Don't misunderstand me. But the Bible doesn't call it worship. You know what's shocking to me? Is I never knew that. Until the Lord pointed it out. And I went and searched the scripture. That's why we do some of the things that we're doing and we don't focus on the music so much. What we're doing is trying to focus on the Lord. What are you saying? So we can get to a microphone and just speak what we hear you say. Or read a scripture. If you're giving us a scripture, speak forth that scripture. Or maybe somebody's getting a song. Sing it. Prophesy it in song. Did I say one last thing already? I misspoke. So, in my quest of what, Lord, what are you saying about the purpose and use of music is changing? I stumbled upon. You know, we always like to say, the Lord led me, the Lord. I'm not sure how this happened, but I, <laughs> I ended up here <laughs> in this scripture. And it just bore witness with my heart. I got so excited. And it's in First Samuel chapter 10. This is before Saul became king of Israel. He's out looking for his dad's donkey or donkeys. And he comes across the prophet Samuel. Verse one, Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? When you go from me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor, and there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. Verse five, this is where I want to hone in on. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. That's what I believe the Lord wants to do here. This is why we do our music the way we're doing it. Because we're trying to figure it out. So what was the purpose and use of music to these prophets? Prophesying. What is prophesying? Saying what God says. It is speaking the mind and the counsel of God. It is speaking forth what God is saying. And what were they doing? They were using music and instruments in their speaking forth the things of God. That's why we do what we're doing. It's it's not typical. It's not normal. It's not the experience that you find other places. Not that we've got it all wired. We're still trying to figure that out. And in the process, Samuel says to Saul, you'll be changed into another man. That's just crazy. That's crazy. And I felt like that's what the Lord was saying for us. Can you imagine? I mean, just somebody walking in off the street and just being changed into another man because they came into this atmosphere as we were doing this. That's what I want. I just want whatever the Lord wants. Is this making sense a little bit? Helping why we do what we're doing and still trying to figure it out. I'm still, you know... I wrote the Ecclesia book nine, ten years ago, and got revelation on it even in 2011. I'm still trying to figure it out. I am. I'm still trying to figure it out, and the Lord keeps showing me more things. And because it's, 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 a, it, and, and when you're trying to help other people as you're trying to figure it out, it, it's clumsy sometimes, and it's so different in some ways. In some ways, it's very similar, but in some ways, it's very different. It's hard, especially when people have grown up and been so trained in church, churchism. Well, with the hour and a half we have left, um, is that nervous laughter or, you know, you really think I'm joking? (laughs) Of course, you can leave whenever you want. And if you have to leave, it doesn't hurt my feelings much. I'm sorry. Um, I think last week I might have said that we were going to finish up on the Pentecost and today uh, I have to recant that. We're not um, mainly, but not only because I didn't know I was needing to share what I just shared and we're running out of time. But I am going to talk a little bit more about uh, Pentecost. This will be our 6th in the this series. And um as I had mentioned uh nearly every week I've been going very slow with this topic and trying to hit different angles and um I've even seen some things that that I've seen anew and afresh and differently and um There's been so much uh, incorrect teaching on this topic that uh, sometimes when we've learned certain things, we have to be kind of deprogrammed before we can start learning. Um, And what we've tried to do with this is just stick to what does the Scripture say? What does Jesus say? So I'm going to ask you a few questions. This is a test, by the way, it's being recorded, just so you know. What does the word, because we, uh, well, let me just do this, Leviticus. How many of you spend just copious amounts of time studying in the book of Leviticus? I knew it. I just knew it. So this is where we started off, because we just mentioned the Feast of the Lord, and there's seven of them, there's four spring feasts, and there's three uh, uh, fall feasts, and it says in verse 1, The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. And in the whole chapter 23, He lays out these feasts. I read that again to say these, the feasts are not Hebrew and they're not Jewish. They're gods. He's the one that said that. For years, I have always thought they were Jewish feasts and they did not pertain to me. Until somebody, a rabbi, pointed it out and it was hidden in plain sight. These are gods. I belong to God. These are gods. So they're important to me. Because they're His. And we need to have some understanding of what they are. The other thing I'll just throw out there, we always call it, there's a Jewish calendar. There's a calendar that's God's. God's the one that set the calendar of the day. They're not just Jewish. And we've got to get those kinds of things out of our mind. So the four fall feasts are what? Who can name them? What did I say? Spring. Spring feast. Passover. Let's do them in order. Passover. Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. First fruits, 50 days later is Pentecost. And that's what we've been talking about. The four spring feasts have been fulfilled to a point. We talked about that. Jesus said about the Pentecost in the last supper, He said, I will not drink of this cup until when? We're we're all together. That's the complete fulfillment. So the four uh, spring feasts, I keep doing that, Spring feasts have been fulfilled. There is three fall feasts. Who can name them? Trumpets. Exactly. Trumpets, atonement, and booths or tabernacles. That was kind of rough. Let's see. (laughs) So, So we are focusing mainly on Pentecost. What happened at the day of Pentecost when it was being fulfilled? The Holy Spirit was poured out. Originally, what was the Feast of Pentecost? Originally, it was the early summer, late spring wheat harvest. Then it became known or a celebration of the giving of the law when Moses received the law at Mount Sinai. What's interesting is when you see the different elements, when in Acts chapter two, you see what fire and wind and the breath of God and language. You see those same elements when you go to Mount Sinai, when God was giving Moses the, the law, the same elements were, were present in both. What does the word feast mean? Not in English, biblically. What's that? Was a feast? Divine appointment. It's a divine appointment. Now, typically, we think of divine appointment. This is all, you know, kind of rehearsal and review. So this stuff should be flying right out of your mouth, right? (laughs) Typically, we think of a divine appointment, that God give me a divine appointment. We have an intersection with somebody in our day, on our journey, that we can minister to. But the divine appointment, biblically with this, is where God wants His people to assemble... So He can have a divine appointment with us. A meeting with us. What is also another understanding definition of feast? It's a dress rehearsal. So for years and years and years, the Jews were going through this dress rehearsal. Dress rehearsal. Why? You don't do a dress rehearsal if there's no main event. They were doing a dress rehearsal year after year after year. We're going to stick just with Pentecost now, okay? With Pentecost, and then that the main event was going to happen at some point. OK? So feast is a divine appointment or a dress rehearsal. Are they Jewish feasts? Excellent. What does the word "baptism" mean? To be immersed in? Typically, when we hear the word "baptism," we automatically think of water baptism. But there's more baptisms in the Bible. The word baptism just means to be immersed in. Jesus spoke of different baptisms. Okay. Here's something interesting. So Pentecost was a celebration, a feast of divine appointment, of the early wheat harvest. So Pentecost is the last, number four, of the divine appointments in the spring. And then you go all summer, and until the fall, which is typically around our time in the September, uh, mid-late September, the three fall feasts begin. So you have several months there. See, this is where we're at. This is another example of where we're at in history, because we're in the time of harvest. you understand what I'm saying? We're in a time of harvest. Because there's going to come a time when harvest is over. It's over. The Lord says it's over. The full harvest has come in. We're moving forward. We're moving on. Our enemy, Satan, and his demonic hordes attack us. At the point or in the areas that give us the greatest power and strength. That's what happens in war, right? You want to hit supply lines, power. You want to take out the brass. You you want to take out those things, those areas of your enemy that's going to do the greatest damage to you. You go after those first to try to cut it off. This is exactly what Satan does. He goes after those areas. That God has given to us that gives us the greatest power, the greatest strength, the greatest strategic advantage in this war that we find ourselves in. If you can turn to Acts chapter 1. And as you do that, I want to read a passage from John 14. Beginning in 16, here's what Jesus said. I will ask the Father and He will give to you another Helper that He may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you after a little while. The world will no longer see Me, but you will see Me, because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and and you in Me, and I in you. He who has My commandments and keeps them is the one who loves Me. And he who loves Me will be loved by My Father. And I will love him and will disclose Myself to him. Verse 25, These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Phew! Thank You, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1. Verse 8. Here's what Jesus said. This is what Scripture says, and this is what the Scripture says that Jesus said. All right, this is not coming from anybody else's sermon or own thoughts. Here's what Jesus said. I'm going to back up to verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You have heard from me, John, baptized with water. But you will be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is saying here, and there's many other scriptures, we even looked at some of them, that there's two different at least two different baptisms. There's a baptism in water, and there's a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that. That's what the scripture says. Two different events of baptism. Two different types of immersions. At least two. Verse 6. When they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? Why did they ask that question? Because it was very well known. Scripture even says it. It was very well known in uh, Judaism that when the end came, the end of the age began, there was going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would become active again. Joel chapter 2 even prophesied it. So when he talked about the Holy Spirit coming, okay, are we at the end? Yes, the end of days, the the last days began 2,000 years ago. We're in it. And every day that passes, we're getting later and later into those last days. And what did Jesus say? It's not for you to know times and epics which the Father has fixed by His own authority. But here's what Jesus said that was going to happen. When the Holy Spirit, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is what He said. You will receive Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will receive because the power is for being a witness. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. Here's something interesting that Jesus did not say. He did not say you're going to receive a new language. Did he? It's not there. He didn't say you're going to receive a prayer language. I've always found that as a funny term, to be quite honest. Because I don't see that in Scripture, a prayer language. What did he say? You're going to receive power. That's all he said. He didn't tell him any more specifics than that. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't do any ministry. Don't go anywhere. Don't preach the gospel and try to heal anybody. Don't do any of those things. You wait until you receive the promise and you're going to receive power. John chapter 4 and John chapter 7. John chapter 4 and John chapter 7. And I'm not going to say that I'm going to close after this because that might be incorrect. Jesus Himself described to us, but it's very easy to miss this, He described to us the difference between being born again and immersed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Did you know He did that? We're going to look at those verses. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 14-ish. This is the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. Let's just jump in the middle of conversation. Verse 13, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Where is Jesus at this time? You all know the scripture. They're right next to a well. A woman from Samaria comes out to draw water. He has a conversation with her. What does He say? Everyone who drinks this water that's in the well is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. So where's the water coming from? Jesus. He said, the water I give. So it's Jesus is giving the water. He says that the water I give you, you won't ever thirst again. It will become in you a well. where are they sitting by a well? When you see a well of water, what's the water doing in the well? It's sitting there. The manifestation of the water is sitting. It's down in the wall in the well, waiting to be what drawn out. It's not gushing out. there's no waves. it's not swirling around, it's sitting there. This water is the water that Jesus gives. What does He tie this water to? Eternal life. No one can see the Father without being born from above. What's Jesus talking about? The new birth. When you receive the water that I'm giving you because Jesus is the life, Jesus is the bread of life. The water that I have to give you that is sitting in a well, you will never thirst and it will what does he say? Springing up to eternal life. So notice that there's water, Jesus, and eternal life. Because we've talked about water baptism a lot. Or being baptized in the name of Jesus. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus, there's water and Jesus. Are you seeing this ties? But the water is in a well which is just sitting there. How many of you know this? I know you know this because you're extremely smart. Water can be in all kinds of different forms. It can be frozen. Water can sit there in a glass or in a cup. But water can also be a tsunami or a tidal wave or have an undertow. Or you turn it on under pressure and it comes coming out of your faucet. It's the same stuff. It's just in a different manifestation, so to speak. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 7. Verse let's just go to thirty seven. Seven thirty seven. Isn't that an airplane? Is that an airplane? seven thirty seven. Now on the last day, the day of the great feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Okay, this sounds similar so far to what we just read, right? If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. What did he say in John 4? If you drink the water that I give you, you're never going to thirst and it's going to spring up to what? Eternal life. Salvation. Verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow Rivers of living water. Now that's a whole lot different manifestation of water than water sitting in a well. Wouldn't you agree? Notice the next verse. But this he spoke of the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus just explained to us. There's two different baptisms, two different manifestations, that when you drink the water that he has to give you, it springs up to eternal life. It's salvation. Salvation was possible in the first covenant. But the spirit wasn't. You see, many times with just incorrect teaching, people believe and have taught, and I've heard it, you probably have too. That when you get born again, you receive the the fullness of the Spirit. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Well, now you got real quiet on this And Jesus said that if you receive the water I give you, it's like a well of water springing up to eternal life, which is salvation, the born again experience. Verse. Chapter 7, he he talks about rivers of living water. And then it explains it to us and says he's specifically talking about the Spirit, which had not been poured out yet because he had not been glorified. That's the difference. Water sitting in a well that you can draw on, bring refreshment, eternal life, or... No, I shouldn't say or. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is now rivers of living water, which is powerful. Rivers of living water, river of water moving is powerful. What did Jesus say that you're going to receive when you receive the the Holy Spirit? Power. That was his focus. Power. You want to go a little further? (laughs) Yeah. All right. I I, I mentioned this part last week. Uh, Let me just say this again. Peace be with you. That's not what I said last week. At least I don't don't remember if I did. (laughs) I've tried to emphasize this part of it a lot. Words are powerful. Not any words, but words that are anointed or given to us by the Father, by the Spirit that we speak, are powerful. He's given us the sons of men in the earth. He's given us the dominion of the earth under His leadership. For God to get his will accomplished, he partners we have the privilege of partnering with God to get His will accomplished in the earth. what a great that's not only a great privilege it's a great responsibility. and so when God gives us his words to speak and we speak them, it's just as powerful, just as anointed as if He said them himself because he did through us when Nimrod rallied his, the people of the earth and they began to build the Tower of Babel or, or Babel and then the Tower of Babel. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 11 that it says God came down. He said, let us go down there and see what these guys are doing, what they're up to. And when God saw this, he's like, this is not good. To me, this is such a powerful statement because the people... Of the, tower, of the earth at that time, all spoke the same language. They were all communicating with other. They were of one mind and purpose. They were in unity. They were in unity building a city and building a tower that would reach into the heavens that God was not in. God wasn't in it. He didn't initiate it. He wasn't in the work. But then God says this, Because they're all of one mind and they are understanding, they're in unity, nothing shall be impossible to them. This is why it makes me a little leery sometimes when I hear this call of unity. We've got to get in unity. No, we need to unify, we need the unity of the Spirit, not just the Spirit of unity. Tower of Babel had the Spirit of unity. And God was not pleased. But what was it? Because, see, God could have, if he wanted to, sent like a lightning bolt and just blew that tower up and, you know, bricks would have went flying everywhere, right? Done. Smoking hole in the ground. But that's not what he did. He could have done a number of things. Fire and brimstone. I mean, whatever he decided to do. But what was it that God did? And let me just add this. God sometimes disunifies on purpose. We're, we're, so many people are like, oh no, God's just all about unity, unity, unity. Mm-hmm. It's not biblical. And here's one of the instances. He did it with Israel a lot of times. You know what he said? I'm scattering you. You're not going to follow me, obey me? Scattered. I'm disunified. So, But what was it that God did in, in the Tower of Babel? To screw up their work. He confused their language to where they couldn't communicate. Hence, that's where the word babble came from. Confusion. Isn't it interesting that he went after the words? Because that was the world's first one world government attempt. And now we're in Tower of Babel 2.0, attempt. And there is a universal language, and it's computers, ones and zeros. That crosses all, because that's where the the Tower of Babel 2.0 is a technocracy, using uh, technical internet, computer technology. To bring people into subjection into one world government. But God separated their words. His words are powerful. But God did something very unique at the day of Pentecost. And he did it with words. I love you guys. Be blessed even if you don't want to. Have a great day. No.
2: (laughs) Yeah, go ahead.
0: issue going on here and we're we're going to figure that out what's happening yes sir
3: They, uh, that they, they used to get the senators and the House of Repres- Representatives members to run for cover. And before that happened, there were House of Representatives members who said they didn't want to uh, vote on their state's irregularities in the the vote. And they got senators, one of them was Josh Hawley, the other one was Ted Cruz, to sign on to it. So it was an official document. When they came back, they voted not to hear any more of that, and they just voted and put Biden in office. This Supreme Court Justice case is calling for the Supreme Court to hear the evidence and determine whether these 388 senators and House, mem- house members and three other people, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, and <coughs> Vice President Pence at the time, that they should be removed from office. Run for office again. Amen. So, what what this amounts to is Lloyd Brunson, and I've got some information on this page. I'm sorry, I only have one copy. If you guys, if you've got a printer, we can print off a bunch of these people. But it tells you how you can get on the Supreme Court website and look at this information, read the pleading itself, and then they're asking for us to back them up by sending letters to the Supreme Court. So, um, if, if Joe, if you're so inclined that we can go forward with this, if not, I, I rest on you.